0: I am joined by special guest, Charmaine Hammond. Charmaine is a certified speaking professional. She is an author, a conflict management expert, and she is also the executive producer of the movie, Back Home Again. She is also an author, so she specializes in helping workplaces create trust, healthy relationships, and collaboration so we're going to be talking to her about her experience and all the companies that she's helped create these good working places and any current and upcoming things that she has in the works as well as her movie Charmaine thank you so much for joining me today
1: thank you I'm really looking forward to the conversation
0: well why don't you start off by just telling everybody a little bit of background about yourself
1: Sure. Well, I have like many people listening, life takes us on interesting journeys. And my first career was actually working in jails. I was a correctional officer for many years and then started working in the mental health uh, sector. And that's where I got really passionate about conflict resolution, went back to school, got a degree, a master's degree in conflict analysis and management, and then eventually opened up my own business. So for many years, I was mediating corporate disputes, workplace disputes between team members, and even family and community disputes and conflicts. And in amidst all that, I wrote some books, the first ones about my dog Toby, and, and then eventually took on a role of mediating less and speaking and training more. And I discovered that's really my passion is speaking, training and writing.
0: All right. Well, what kind of dog is Toby?
1: <laughs> he is a big Chesapeake, dig, Chesapeake Bay Retriever. So he's got incredible personality and just sort of is on the planet to love people, be loved and bring joy to people's life. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Well, let's start in talking about since you're a conflict management expert, why is why is conflict so tough to deal with and things that we can do to avoid it?
1: It's such a great question. Why is conflict so difficult to deal with? When we're, when we're facing conflict, and this, this is true for the workplace and in our personal lives, in our family situations, when we're dealing with conflict, there's a lot that we're wrestling with. So we're dealing with history, we're dealing with the relationship, the trust level, all the emotions that go with conflict. And then we've got this other element where sometimes we become conflict avoiders. We don't want to set the apple cart. We don't want to make things worse. We're afraid of hurting somebody's feelings. And then what happens is that conflict either is poorly managed or not dealt with at all. And then things escalate relationships are damaged, trust is broken, and then the problem is more difficult to deal with. With conflict, I think one of the challenges is that we're navigating a lot, being able to listen effectively, speak conflict confidently and calmly, and not get sort of sucked into all the drama that happens with conflict is really, really hard work.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, sometimes doing conflict, uh conversation might go heated or left field you know drama field how do we how do we prevent that and get the conversation back on track to a more positive and productive conversation
1: we we've probably all been there haven't we where we're in a conversation and it seems to be going well and then all of a sudden it detours or it goes sideways falls off the track one of the things that happens and when I was a mediator I used to see this happen a lot is that when emotions start to rise and when the conversation starts to feel accusational or where people are feeling blamed or judged, a lot of defensiveness is created in the conversation. And instead of listening effectively and processing what's being said to us, we tend to go into this very much survival defensive mode. And then, and then the essence of the conversation actually... Deteriorates. One of the best tips I can say, and I I did this for many years as a mediator, when conversations feel like they're speeding up, so the anxiety is heightening, the emotion is heightening, people are talking faster. A great strategy is to just actually slow down. So take a breath when you're talking, speak a little quieter. And the best tip is to ask a lot of open ended questions. These are those questions that start with who, what, where, when, why, and how. Because when people start talking about what's important to them, why they're reacting in a certain way, what is causing the frustration, and what their viewpoint is, things can get back to much more respectful dialogue quickly. It's when we're in that mode of defending ourselves and blaming others that the essence of the conversation is really lost. And the conflict is kind of sitting there waiting to be resolved, but we're busy in the conversation, just defending and putting out statements that hinder the conversation, not help it.
0: Well, when I was looking through your extensive bio, I saw that you have a five-step model, which is just like a roadmap to dealing with conflict. So you can, can you share that with the listeners?
1: You betcha. This this five-step model is one that I was trained on as a mediator and was using it for years. And in fact, even before I was trained as a mediator and I was working in the field of corrections, a big part of my job was navigating conflict. I had the same steps, I just didn't have a name for them. And when I became a mediator, there was this structure. And I thought, wow, this is what I've been doing. It really does work. The first thing that we have to do in conflict is set the stage for a successful, respectful dialogue. This means we're choosing the right time and place. We are prepared for the conversation. That could mean that we have the right information, that we have had a good night's sleep before the conversation, that we've taken time to get ourselves under control. The first step is all about preparing this, the conversation stage for success and respect. Sometimes that means even practicing what we are going to say to the other person or people in advance. And we can do that actually in the mirror. We can practice that conversation, our side of the conversation in the mirror. That's the first step. The second step is once we get into the dialogue with the other individual, whether that is our partner, our children, our coworker, or our boss, we then need to figure out what is the agenda? What is it that we're here to talk about? This is where things sometimes go sideways because people dive into the conversation of how they're feeling or what's bugging them. And there isn't clarity on what we are here to talk about. And then conversation feels like it loses its structure very, very quickly. When you've got that clear agenda, here's what we're gonna talk about. You really set the framework for the conversation. And step three in this five-step model, this roadmap, Step three is where the important conversations happen. This is where you're sharing your perspective. If I'm in the conversation with you, I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm asking open-ended questions. I'm processing what it is that you're saying and, and thinking about my reactions and responses to that. It really is like a back and forth dialogue. And we're listening for common ground. I'm listening, is there something that you're saying is important to you that's important to me as well? Or are you giving me some information as you talk about this conflict from your perspective? And you're giving me information that could help us solve the problem. So that's step three. Step four is where we brainstorm ideas to solve the problem. In step three, we understand what the problem is. We've talked about the problem or conflict. We've shared our perspectives and how it's impacting us. And then we look at what are we going to do about it? How can we solve this conflict or this disagreement in a way that works for you and works for me. And I'm just going to take a little sidebar here for a minute. A lot of time in conflict, we hear the term win-win. And it's a term that I actually haven't used for many, many years because my experience tells me after mediating with thousands of people over the years is that mostly people don't feel like they're a winner in a conflict. And when we have a winner, we have a loser. I avoid that win-lose, win-win terminology. And in step four, it's all about looking for a mutually satisfactory outcome or agreement. And then we confirm that agreement. And then step five is we follow up. (laughs) This is often the missing piece. We feel so good that the conflict is resolved. And we're so happy to be done with the dialogue that we (laughs) sort of leave the conversation and, and then We don't revisit it. It's really important to just touch base with the other person, even if it's a week from now or a couple of days from the conversation, to just check in and make sure things are okay, the conflict is solved, the relationship is intact. And this is a model you can apply with your children, with your partner, with your in your workplace, in community groups, it even works in sports teams when they're having disagreement in the team.
0: Well, let's talk about collaboration. Talk about, give us some strategies on finding the right partners and making sure that whatever collaboration you're doing stays on track to achieve the goal that the collaboration exists.
1: I love that you've brought up kind of achieve the goal and the collaboration exists because a lot of times conflict happens because we are collaborating either on a project, in a team, in our family. And there's pieces of the collaboration puzzle missing. One of the things that really helps collaboration, especially in the workplace, is that we choose the right people to collaborate with. A lot of times in collaborative projects, for example, we have the wrong people around the table. People who maybe don't have the right skill set or don't have the time to commit to the project. And then things start to go sideways. Having the right people at the table is a great strategy for successful collaboration and we just finished talking about conflict and conflict happens a lot in collaborations when we don't have the right people we don't have the structure we don't have clear goals and when people are collaborating for example in if it's in the workplace when people are collaborating setting up in advance how it is we're going to talk about problems how it is we're going to solve conflict? What are we going to do if somebody commits to something and doesn't follow through? The more we can decide in advance how we're going to work together, the easier it is to deal with it if things go sideways or someone drops the ball. Another element of collaboration is you mentioned the word goals a couple of minutes ago, and that's critical. When we collaborate, we want to be sure that we're all on the same page about The goal, the outcome, where this collaboration is going, why we exist, because sometimes, and I've seen it in workplaces and I've seen it in community groups, sometimes the players in the collaboration, the people around the table, the collaboration partners change. In workplaces, people leave and go to another job, for example. And then sometimes people feel like they have to start all over again. And they never feel like they're getting the project done. It's just always onboarding and bringing people up to speed. The more clarity you have on the goal and the structure of the collaboration, the easier it is to move towards that outcome that you're trying to achieve. And with conflict, it's really essential for collaborations that anything that is impacting the group be dealt with quickly, because that can just create toxicity And bad feelings and a project ending, the project not even getting off the ground if those things aren't dealt with effectively.
0: Well, let's talk about if a collaboration does go sideways, how do you kind of get it back on track and make sure that it achieves the goals without damaging the relationship or messing up the purpose of the collaboration?
1: Yes, how do we deal with that when things go sideways? Because they often will. That's one of the, it's one of the beauties of working on teams and on projects is that we get to work with people with diverse skill sets and experiences. And sometimes that becomes the source of things going sideways. One of the things we can do if things are starting to go awry and maybe the collaboration is not going in the right direction, really important to have those frank, open dialogues. And so to do that, though, it requires us to have some trust because it's really difficult to be in a collaborative project or on a collaborative team. And when you see something that is off-putting or not okay, it takes some trust in your team to be able to raise that and say, hey, I'm not okay with what just happened. Or I need to ask some questions. I'm not sure that what we're doing is actually in alignment with the reason we are collaborating in the first place. I love it when groups take time to build trust and build relationships. My experience has told me time and time again that when, when we take time to build trust and when we nurture the relationship. People can get through a lot. People can handle a lot. They can handle frequent change. They can handle things being bumpy in the collaboration. When the relationship isn't strong and when trust is low, little tiny problems feel like an avalanche. You know, I always think of this example. I did a workshop years ago when Jack Canfield from Chicken Soup for the Soul and the Success Principles was the speaker, and he gave me this analogy that I've never forgotten. And he talked about going for a walk with a little tiny pebble in your shoe. So you go for a walk and you notice that pebble and you think, oh, I'm not going to stop and take off my shoe. I'm just going to keep walking. And before long, that little pebble in your shoe feels like a boulder. And all you can focus on is the pebble in the shoe. You're not enjoying the scenery. You're not talking to people that you pass by. You're just irritated by this pebble. And I thought how true that is in our life in our relationships, and in our communication. If we don't deal with those little pebbles, whatever that pebble is, it will be become a big boulder and it can, be, can block success, it can damage relationships. Dealing with these things quickly, effectively, collaboratively will really help the people that are involved.
0: Can you give us some examples of some great collaborations, whether it be business, nonprofit, community debt, that- people can use as a benchmark to say, hey, we need to try to strive to be like those guys?
1: I love that question. Some examples. Well, I'm going to give, this is probably my favorite example of collaboration to deal with, uh, to share. Many years ago, I was in a community doing some training and the organization that I was meeting with was talking about all of these community needs that they had. They, they None of the organizations, the nonprofits, had enough money or resources so staff and time to be able to solve all the community issues and they had some needs pretty heavy needs with adolescents and teenagers so they were looking at things like after school programming and workshops and activities for students to be able to come to after school to keep them off the street connect them with things that they could be passionate about. So it was a beautiful vision, but none of the organizations had enough money to put that vision into place. And one organization said, hang on a second, look at there's all of these organizations. We have the school boards, we have the hospital, we have government, we have all these nonprofit organizations that serve children and families. What if we just met to share some ideas and could see what happened? And how this story was relayed to me is that they created what they called the drop in the bucket analogy. Every partner, I think there was more than 12 organizations that ended coming to the table and each of them brought their resources. You know, one organization said, I have a little bit of money left over that we haven't spent yet that could fit with this project. And another organization said, we have a 0.5 of a full-time employee that we haven't hired yet. I wonder if we could put that into this project. Well, what ended up happening with all these little drops in the bucket, all these organizations coming together to collaborate, they ended up having enough staff time and money to fund a complete after hours program for youth and teenagers that also was mobile. It could travel to different parts of the community. So alone, none of them could have solved this issue. Together, they created something better than what they thought was needed. And that's a great example of nonprofits working with government, working with, with, working with private industry to solve a community issue.
0: Well, I know you have plenty of experience with being a mediator because you're also a former jail guard. So <laughs> when somebody's trying to make a point, how can they make it in a way that they're going to be heard and, and respected, even if a person agree, agrees or disagrees, you can agree to disagree.
1: Yes. Making our point, that's so uncomfortable for a lot of us. We worry about how will people think of us if I disagree What if I'm saying my point and people aren't getting it? Or worse yet, a lot of times people express their viewpoint and don't feel heard. They're interrupted. They're talked over by somebody else, not acknowledged. And and often when this happens repeatedly to individuals, they just stop sharing their viewpoint, which is so sad to see in, in communities, workplaces and families. One of the things that we can do, and this was taught to me years ago, One of my mentors said, Charmaine, we actually teach and train people how to deal with us by how we deal with them. And the example was given, if we wanna be heard by other people, we have to model listening to other people. If we wanna be treated with respect, when we model respect to other people, that might encourage them to treat us that way. Does it happen right away and <laughs> on, you know, right off the bat? Maybe not. But when we're setting that tone of how we hope to be treated and modeling that with other people, that is one way to start. When we're expressing our viewpoint and someone's interrupting or talking over us. A great strategy. And again, this is one you can practice in the mirror so that your confidence builds because this can be uncomfortable for some people so when you're speaking and someone is constantly interrupting you or talking over you or minimizing your viewpoint saying yeah you know I don't really agree with that but what I really want to talk about so when people kind of put aside your idea to bring their idea that's way better which happens in conversation a great tool is to say something like thanks for sharing that I wanted to go back to what I was attempting to say a moment ago and then pause and then continue on. Or you can, if you're being interrupted by somebody repeatedly saying, if I could just finish my point here, and then I'd love to hear your perspective. So you're letting somebody know that they have interrupted you. And if it's a problem, this happens in work teams sometimes where there are people in an organization that do this a lot. And are constantly interrupting and interjecting. This might be a time where we have to have a sidebar conversation. Where we go to that person's office and say, you know, I wanted to talk with you about a pattern I've seen. That when I'm bringing ideas up at the staff meeting, partway through, you interrupt or cut me off or or take over the time that I was using. I would really appreciate the opportunity to finish my thought and share my perspective fully before you engage. I'd like to talk about how we can figure this out for the next staff meeting. Or you can do something like an iMessage. I wanted to give you some feedback. I found it really distracting last Tuesday at staff meeting when I was trying to express my viewpoint and you kept interrupting. It frustrated me. I felt it distracting and I really like to talk about how we could have this happen differently at future events and meetings. So giving that iMessage about how somebody's behavior has impacted you can also be important to do, you know, after the fact. And this works really well when there's a pattern with someone, that person who constantly is doing this to you that one-to-one feedback is really important because sometimes people just are not aware of the impact their behavior is having on other people.
0: Sound like some of the HR people. I know you'd make a perfect HR person. (laughs)
1: The HR folks have so much to deal with. You're absolutely right there. I mean, these are the people that often leaders and company owners are going to for guidance on how do I deal with this in our team? They play an important role and, and uh, often turn into sort of the coach or mentor, don't they? Helping people through it.
0: They sure do. Let's talk about resilience. Talk about how vital it is, not only in the workplace, but with everything that's going on, mm. even in our own families right now.
1: I just so appreciate you bringing up resilience right now because we have this shared experience right now around the globe that everyone has been impacted in some way, their resilience has been impacted in some way or their mental health impacted through living in and navigating through a pandemic. And I do a lot of work in the area of mental health sector and have a lot of clients in that sector. And they used to tell me, oh, Charmaine, you know, two in five or one in five people have been affected by mental health issues. And one of my partners recently on a project said, Charmaine, I think it's safe to say five in five. We are all affected right now in some way. And, And one of the psychologists that I do a lot of work with, she brought up an interesting perspective and said, right now we are not working at the capacity that we were able to before COVID we've been navigating a lot of change, frequent change, and this impacts our ability to be resilient. And when I think of resilient, I have a little bit of a different take on it than what the definition is. The definition of resilience is usually something to the effect of the ability to bounce back after adversity. And I remember I was in a sailboat accident a number of years ago, my, my then boyfriend, now husband, and I swam for our lives for many, many hours before we got rescued. And I had been teaching resilience at that time and everything kind of flew out the window when I had to deal with my own scariest moment and apply resilience skills. And I learned afterwards, after we got home safely and everything was okay, I learned that resilience for me is not about bouncing back, it's about bouncing forward so that when tough stuff happens, we all face tough stuff, everyone is facing tough stuff right now, just through the pandemic. Change, impacts in our finances, impacts in our work, our children are affected, so everything is affected in some way. And when we think about resilience, bouncing forward to me instead of back means that when tough stuff happens, we, we lean in, and we do something. That might be asking for help. That might be nurturing our resilience. It might just be reflecting on what's going on, but we sort of lean in and take a step forward to do something to help ourselves or help the people we're in relationship with. So you're absolutely right. Resilience is so essential right now. And it's something that we have to nurture. Resilience is sort of like a bank account that you've got to keep putting into it so that when you need it the most, there, there are reserves in there for you. And if, if we have a bank account that we're not putting deposits into, eventually it dries up and there's nothing left for us when we need it the most. And our resilience is like that. Those daily little actions and, and steps that we can take to nurture our resilience, getting enough sleep, eating healthy, resolving conflict, asking for help, Just having time off the computer, unplugging, all of those little actions go a long, long way in helping us be resilient at home and at work.
0: Speaking of resilience, let's talk about your film.
1: Uh,
0: Tell us about that and tell us what it's all about, why you decided to create it, and most important of all, how we can check it out.
1: Great. Well, the movie is Back Home Again. And Back Home Again is an animated movie based on the Fort McMurray, Alberta, Canada wildfires that occurred in 2016. This was one of Canada's biggest disasters, most costly disaster, and the entire community, more than 80,000 people were evacuated for weeks and weeks and weeks. And Michael Mankowski, who is the screenwriter director, is a Fort McMurrayite. He was born and raised there and is a producer and He thought there were so many stories that needed to be told and maybe a film could help people have conversations about hope and community, coming together as a community, which is what happened in that case, and about mental health. And I got involved in the project because I lived in Fort McMurray for about 16 years and not at the time of the fires, but I was brought back to the community by the school boards and a number of nonprofit organizations. To help them on their resilience building and the recovery of the community. And that's where I met Michael and he told me about this script that he had written, this screenplay. And I just thought this is incredible. It checked all the boxes that were important to me. It was collaborative, it was community-based, it was designed to help people, inspire conversation, and it was connected to building mental health and. And so I've been working with Michael for almost five years on the project, and it premiered at Edmonton International Film Festival, winning winning a few awards, and we are slowly releasing this out to the world. But it was created to be a conversation starter, to start and spark conversation about mental health.
0: Well, let's talk about your book. She you talked about the book that you wrote about Toby. So tell us yes. about the other books that you've written, and you know, kind of give us a brief description on it.
1: Sure. Well, my first, very first time that I wrote was actually for Chicken Soup for the Soul, and it was a story called "Volunteering from the Heart," and it was a story about my dog Toby, who was a Chesapeake Bay Retriever, and he was a therapy dog. And Toby was adopted. We adopted him. <laughs> 5 years of age and he came to us with a lot of issues mental health issues he had anxiety and and all kinds of behavioral issues and prior to us adopting him he was on medication for anxiety and when he was weaned off the medication we discovered he didn't have any coping skills so we adopted this dog we had fallen in love with and he was healthy he was off drugs and had no coping skills and And the very first time I went to work, and Toby's now living with us, and the garbage truck came to pick up the garbage, and it makes that beeping noise, I guess the beeping noise freaked him out, and he destroyed the house. And this this continued to be a problem. He was sort of a house-wrecking, lovable dog, and the way that we got his behavior under control and stopped him from wrecking our house, breaking 12 toilets in his life, it was just crazy. The damage that he did. But the behaviorist that came to help us, her name was Maggie. And after working with us, she discovered that Toby was a dog who needed a job and a purpose. Just like us as people, we need a sense of purpose. And, and so do animals. And, and she said, I think he'll be a great therapy dog. We got him certified and tested. And he volunteered every Wednesday at a psychiatric hospital for over four years. He won awards. And I was so inspired by being able to hold the end of the leash and watch this dog do his passion, his purpose and help heal people. I wrote a story about him and it got picked up in chicken soup for the soul. And then I wrote a full book about Toby, which was called on Toby's terms. And it's really about how this dog and him going through to be a therapy dog actually changed my life. He taught me how to be a better person. Really. He taught me about the importance of play and purpose. uh, not being a perfectionist because you can't be a perfectionist and live with a dog that wrecks the house. And, and so my life started to change as him and I worked together every Wednesday. And then that book on Toby's terms led to me writing two children's books as well about Toby.
0: Well, do you have any current, uh, upcoming projects besides your movie that people need to know about
1: well interesting you asked that I just finished writing a third children's book in the Toby series and this one is called Toby and his forever family and it'll come out in 2022 and it's the story about how how Toby came to be in our life and and kind of mimics sometimes what children experience when they're waiting for their forever family to show up. I used to do a lot of work as social worker with adoptions and working with foster children. And I was really inspired by them to write a story. And because Toby was adopted, there was an opportunity for me to kind of write a story about his adoption and mimic that in terms of what happens for children when they're waiting for their forever family to show up. And so that'll come out in 2022. And, and then, of course, the movie will be releasing that out. There's an amazing trailer for Back Home Again movie on YouTube that people can see the incredible cast that, that have come on to donate their time and voice to this project. And, and we'll look forward to doing all kinds of events and screenings in 2022 for that as well.
0: Tell us how we can check out that trailer, what we have to type in, give out your contact information, website, social media. That way we can connect, stay connected with you and keep up with what you're doing, the great things you're doing.
1: Fantastic. So the movie Back Home Again, you can go into the website backhomeagainmovie.com. And all the social media for Back Home Again is Back Home Again movie. so on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And then getting in touch with me, probably the best place is through my website, raiseadream.com.
0: Can you spell that for the listeners just so they make sure they get it right?
1: You betcha. R-A-I-S-E-A-D-R-E-A-M.com, raiseadream.com.
0: Okay. Just wanted to make sure that they got it exactly right. Close Perfect. us out. Close us out with some final thoughts. If there's anything that I missed and failed to, to ask, you know, just give us some final thoughts.
1: I loved your questions that your questions were just so in alignment with some of the things as humans, we need to be looking at, looking at right now around building resilience around navigating those stressors and conflicts that get in, in the way. And One of the things I want to remind people is that it's okay not to be okay all the time. There's so much pressure on us as humans, as leaders, as parents, as staff, employees, community members, there's so much pressure on people and often we think we've just got to be okay all the time and we don't have to be. And I think the other thing that I would mention for closing out is the importance of asking for help. You know, as humans, I think there's a need for us to be connected and sometimes asking for help is really difficult. I can personally say that is not a strength for me. <laughs> so I am constantly working on my confidence in asking for help, but asking for help right now is so important and being a helper for others is really so critical in helping us all navigate through living through a pandemic and and where our resilience is being challenged and tested every day.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, back home again, movie.com and com. Be sure to check out the movie and all of Charmaine's books. She's doing some great things. Also, follow, rate, review, and share this to as many people as possible because these skills can not only be used in the workplace, but they can be carried into our personal lives as well and android listeners go to the google play store and download the living the dream with curveball podcast app charmaine thank you so much for joining me
1: thank you so much i really enjoyed the conversation and love that you're bringing important topics to the world
0: for more information on the living the dream podcast visit www.djcurveball.com until next time Stay focused on living the dream dream.